seeking the Lord about how to start the year this year. And, and you know, uh, this is really, this really a year to do what you know to do. If we're ever going to obey God, if we're going to ever seek first the kingdom of God, how many know it's time to do that? Because Jesus is coming back. The whole world lives as though Jesus is never coming back. And, uh, you know, Peter said that the world would be that way. They said, where is the promise of his coming? Everything just keeps on keeping on. Jesus ain't coming back. Well, ready or not, here he comes. And so I want to talk to you today about something that's been on my heart for a while. Uh, I want to talk about your prayer life and the title of this series, be a series, Prayer is Your Place of Safety. And I got to seeking God about this next year. The most important thing that you and I are going to do this year is learn how to pray. That one ever so big. I usually don't even minister on prayer on Sunday mornings because I, I save it for Wednesday nights and other times for smaller groups. But God dealt with me. All of us need to learn to pray more than we ever have in our whole life because Jesus is coming back. The whole world is changing. The Middle East is changing. All of the ruckus that's being stirred up there, you know, it's designed. You can't change those things. They're set in Bible prophecy. Jesus is returning. And he said when he returns, there's going to be a group of people that are sharing him more strongly than they ever have before. There will be signs, wonders, miracles. The power of God will be here. But friends, we got to pray. How many hear me? We live in a self-centered culture in America. Everything's about I, me, my, and mine. And God is ready to do something about that. And he's looking to the body of Christ to set the tone and set the example for that. How many hear what I'm saying? I was uh, thinking about all of this, uh, Luke 21, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. Those three passages, those entire chapters in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' disciples asked him what the world would be like before he came back the second time. And, and Jesus took those whole chapters and talked about it in, in fair detail. And I would encourage you, I read those chapters fairly frequently in my own life. It's amazing how the world is lining up with what Jesus said. Luke, uh, Matthew 24, again, Luke 21, Mark 13. There are parallel passages, but uh, something Jesus said really uh, struck a note with me in Luke 21. Passion translation is a modern translation of scripture. I've come across the last few months. I really like it, and uh, I've researched it. It's, uh, it's valid to the original text of scripture, and it puts in modern thinking patterns and words exactly what the Holy Spirit was bearing on the heart of the prophets as they wrote the scriptures. So Passion's translation of Luke 21, 34, be careful, and this is Jesus, be careful that you never allow your hearts to grow cold. Boy, that's a big statement, isn't it? Remain passionate and free from anxiety and the worries of this life. Wow, that's a, that's a tall order too, isn't it? Then you will not be caught off guard by what happens. Don't let me come and find you drunk or careless and living like everyone else. When I read that the first time, it's like my daddy's bending over the table saying, I'm Edge. Don't let me catch you. And so Jesus kind of admonishing us. Don't let me come and find you drunk or careless in living like everyone else. Our culture has moved away from God so much. Everybody's doing what's right in his own eyes not even thinking about what the will of God is, but that's not the way we're supposed to live. Verse 35, for that day will come as a shock and a surprise to all, like a downpour that drenches everyone, catching many unaware and unprepared. Keep a constant watch over your soul and pray for the courage 
and grace to prevail over these things that are destined to occur. That means you can't change them. And that, and that you will stand before the presence of the Son of Man with a clear conscience. The closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more important prayer will be. How many hear what I'm saying? The world is becoming a very dangerous place. Just a week ago today, we had a, you know, we had a church in Texas and a gunman come in. And thank God for those that, that put that guy and stopped that guy before he hurt so many other people. Well, we're living in a very dangerous world. And uh, I don't think it's going to be getting any easier. And our prayer life is the most important thing that we can develop this year. So uh, I want to talk about prayer in fair detail and uh, this, uh, in this series. It's going to take me, take me a while to do that. Think about, when you think about prayer, you think about talking to, you're t- thinking about talking to a God that we can't see. So, so you know, you think about having a, con- a fellowship, a relationship with a human. You know, I relate to Susan. We talk, we have exchange, we, we, we have emotional connection, relational connection, verbal connection. I have friends. When you talk to your friends and acquaintances, you can see them. You can visually watch them as they're speaking and, and they're communicating with their head nodding and their face moving and their eyebrows and their, and their facial expressions, their tones of voice, their body language. But when you talk to God, you can't see Him. You can't hear Him. You can't feel Him. The only way we connect with God is through His Word. By the Holy Spirit. How many hear me? And that alone in and of itself makes prayer a great challenge. And most people are challenged when I talk about prayer because prayer is not easy. How many hear that? But I want to make it easy for you. I want to make it easier. And I've learned over the years that if I'm going to develop a, a, a strong walk with God and be the spiritual person that God's called me to be. And if you're going to be the spiritual person that God caused you to be, called you to be, you've got to develop your prayer life. And again, I want to make what seems challenging much more simple than perhaps we realize. Got a few quotes here. Samuel Chadwick was a wonderful man of God of yesteryear. And uh, Samuel Chadwick said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Now, isn't that the truth? Satan fears nothing from prayerless studies, teachings, preaching. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. One of the reasons all of us are challenged with our prayer life is the enemy knows if you learn how to pray and get a hold of God and know how to get answers, his days are numbered in ruling your life and ruling your family and hindering your children and hindering your marriage and hindering your finances and and making a big ruckus in your life. How many hear me? Well, of course he's going to challenge prayer. Dwight L. Moody was a wonderful man of God. He died in 1899, just before the turn of the 20th century. Uh, Moody Bible Church was started by him. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and he said this. It's a really a startling quote. It's more important to learn to pray than to gain a college education. Now, that's a strong word. And you say that today, well, you know, everybody touts getting educated. I mean, you need to go to college, you get your degree, learn some, uh, some talent in life that you can put into practice and make money. Everybody needs to do that. He's not decrying education. What he is saying, if you depend on anything other than God to make it in life, you're liable to fail. In fact, there's a lot of very educated people I know that do fail. 
In my own life, I found it's not my education, it's not my personal expertise, but it's knowing God that has helped me survive some crisis that should have failed me. How many hear me? So D.L. Moody, it's more important to learn to pray than to gain a college education. Then he also said, D.L. Moody, those who have left the deepest impression on this sin-cursed earth have been men and women of prayer. Ian Bounds died in 1897, I think, and he was a Methodist minister, and he was just all about prayer. He's got many books on prayer. If you've done any studying on prayer, you've come across the name E.M. Bounds and uh, wrote many good books about that, about that subject. And he said this, it's really a startling quote, how we estimate and place prayer is how we estimate and place God. Whoa. To give prayer a secondary place is to make God secondary in life's affairs. Now we wonder why life is so challenging at times. Could it not be because we don't spend the time we need to spend before the throne of God to allow God to come and move in to the arena of our life and help us in the areas that we need help. How many hear what I'm saying? So here are six points today. And we'll start slow today and we'll, we'll gradually grow this subject and I think you'll get something out of it. Here are six points I want to mention today about prayer number one. This really struck me. Jesus lived out of his prayer life. Now, that seems like a simple statement, but if you think about the fact that Jesus was born, we just celebrated Christmas of the Virgin Mary. Jesus was the God-man. He had all of the God ability that he laid aside. And when Jesus came to live as a, and grew up as a baby, born, born in a barn, and then grew up just like everybody else grows up, the Bible says he laid aside all of the power of the office of being deity, the second member of the Trinity. He laid all that power aside and he lived as a man. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the kenosis or the humbling of Christ in that he laid aside his God powers and he only allowed himself to use in life what is available to us. Now that's a challenging thought that Jesus would even do that. Jesus lived out of his prayer life. He did nothing without praying about it first. Now, Jesus is not only our Savior from sin, and not only did he take our place in sin, but he gave, it, gave us an example of how to live life. How many hear me? And if Jesus needed to pray, do you think we need to pray? Even more so. So, um, actually, I was in Ethiopia a few years ago in a very rustic environment, no running water, no electricity, laying in my you know, bed sweating, got up early one morning, and I, somehow this subject just lit up to me, and I ran these references I want to read to you today, and they really, really uh, impassioned me as to the importance of prayer in Jesus' life and the importance prayer should have in my own life. If Jesus saw the need to live out of his times of prayer, how much more do we need to do the same? Just listen to these really quickly as I go through them. Here's Mark one thirty-five again, Passion Translation. The next morning, Jesus got up a long uh, long before daylight, left the house while it was dark and made his way to a secluded place 
to give himself to prayer. Now, Jesus did that all the time. Listen to Matthew 14, 23. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying along with God. I won't read the rest of that, but after that, uh, uh, he sent his disciples off in the boat. He found them on a lake, and he walked on the water, and and Peter walked on the... Well, how did that happen? It happened after a time of prayer in Jesus' own life. In Mark 6, 46, after he had taken leave of them, after he left his disciples, he went up on the mountain to pray. Then Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Don't answer, but how many of, how many of us have spent whole nights, well, I ain't got time to sleep, I got to pray. Jesus had so much going on in life and ministry that he felt at times that he had to neglect sleep. Often we think, well, I can't be my best tomorrow unless I get sleep. Jesus thought opposite. I can't be my best tomorrow until I'm on my knees tonight and it may take all night to get ready for tomorrow. That's a different way of thinking. Mercy. Luke 9, 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. He was teaching them to do what he did. Luke 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'm gonna stop right there. See, he was, that was a habit. It was a pattern. Luke 5, 15, but now even more the report about him went abroad. People spread the word that Jesus was there and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I like that. Luke twenty two thirty nine. Jesus left the upper room with his disciples and as was his habit, Passion Translation says, went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. Anybody that prays a lot, you got your favorite spots and you know exactly where they are. It seems to allude to the fact here that Jesus would go off and find a place by himself where nobody could hear him, but he, he knew that the only person that was listening was God alone, so he could bear his heart. He could share every single thing he was thinking and feeling to the heart of his heavenly Father because he knew God was listening, and then secondly, the God would answer. John six fifteen, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. A current big crowd. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. If Jesus found it necessary, this is point two, to pray frequently about his life and ministry, how much more do we need to pray? This is a startling uh, passage in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, in the days of his flesh, verse 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Now, you got to kick back a minute and think about what that just said. In the days of his flesh, in in his time on earth, living as we live, facing the temptations that we face, facing the challenges that we face, It says here, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication. To supplicate is to beg a favor on behalf of someone else. Offered up prayers, supplications. Then it says with loud cries. It just wasn't some namby-pramby half praying. Loud cries and tears. What does that tell you? He put his whole heart and soul into his relationship with God. It wasn't, he wasn't looking, praying with one eye open looking at the TV. He wasn't praying thinking about what he had to do on his to-do list. He put his whole soul into it. He said, God, I gotta have you. 
He was concerned about things. And it, the heart passion caused him to cry and get loud. And you'll find that'll be true in your own prayer life as you get into it. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Uh, and then right after that, Hebrews 4.14 is a scripture I particularly like because it beckons us to come to that place of prayer. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, two living, New Living Translation. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet, without, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There uh, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Contemporary English version of verse 16 is really good. It says this, so whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. And I like this part. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness. Isn't that awesome? And we will find help. Amplified is always good, the Amplified New Testament of this verse. Let us then fearlessly, confidently, and boldly draw near to the throne of, of um, grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate and well-timed help coming just when we need it. How many know that's available for all of us? All of us get in a pickle. All of us, sometimes it's our own doing. Sometimes we miss things. Uh, some things slip by. We forget things sometimes. Other people do us in. Other times it's just circumstances that rise up and it's no fault of anybody. Things just happen. But we all find times that we don't know what to do and we need some help. And here is a complete open invitation to come boldly to the throne of God and ask for help that will come appropriately, timely, and with kindness. Isn't that good? Man, you can't beat that. So point three is life would be less stressful if we take time to pray about every single thing that bothers us. And here's what we often do, however. We let the busyness of life crowd out our times of prayer. I think it was John Wesley. When I was in Bible school, never get 1977, we found out that John Wesley said, well, I think it was him anyway, uh, said, uh, well, I've got so much to do today. I have so many things on my agenda that I, I must spend the first four hours of my day praying. We thought, Lord, have mercy. The Bible school friends of mine and I, we got up early 4.30 the next day after we heard that. We said, well, we're going to spend four hours till 8.30. Guess what? We were sleeping in 15 minutes or less. Yeah, yeah, you got to learn how to do this stuff. Listen to, this is a quote from Reuben A. Torrey. I read after this man. I've mentioned his writings, particularly in the prayer meetings we've had here. Let me also say we've changed our, our, our weekly prayer meeting from Sunday night next Saturday. And beginning next Saturday on, it will be what it used to be, 9 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Come and pray with us. Nonetheless, uh, Reuben A. Torrey's got a book entitled How to Pray. Reuben A. Torrey was born in 1857 1856 and died in 1927. So 
Uh, he was a man of yesteryear, but he was a man of means. So just to make his quote mean a little something to you, let me tell you something a little bit about Ruben A. Torrey. He was a good friend of D.L. Moody's. In fact, worked in ministry with evangelist uh, Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody came over to the States and, and started Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, R.A. Torrey, as he was called, helped him do that. And uh, he actually, after uh, D.L. Moody died, he pastored that church for a period of time. Reuben A. Torrey, also there's a, there's a college in Los Angeles. I think it's Los Angeles, Biola University. Is that in Los Angeles? Anybody know? In, in Los Angeles? Biola University uh, went by another name, but he was actually dean of that college in the turn of the 20th century for a number of years. And he wrote over 40 books. He's a wonderful man of God, and I have particularly enjoyed his writings on prayer. In all of my spiritual life, I've read one of his uh, particularly choice books on prayer, How to Pray. Here's a quote from that book by R.A. Torrey. Some men are so busy that they find no time for prayer. Apparently, the busier Christ's life was, the more he prayed. Now, isn't that, isn't that different than us? Uh, some, uh, uh, he says, sometimes he had no time to eat. Sometimes he had no time for needed rest and sleep. But he always took time to pray. And the more work crowded, the more he prayed. Then he said this, and when it says here in these older writings, when it says man, it's talking about generically men and women too. Many a mighty man of God has learned the secret from Christ. And when the work has crowded more than usual, they have set an unusual amount of time apart for prayer. Other men of God, once mighty, have lost their power because they did not learn this secret and allowed increasing work to crowd out prayer. The more you're involved in the more prayer becomes necessary. How many hear what I'm saying? So how about you? What, what is prayer to you? Ask yourself, is prayer important to me? Is it important to me to seek God about every single thing I do? Or, or do I bullheadedly just get up, put some coffee in my belly, take a shower, put clothes on my back, and go to work without thinking of asking God to help me because I already know what I need to do? How many hear me? A lot of us live that way. 2020, God's saying, let's make some changes. Jesus' prayer life, number four, uh, brought him through the most challenging times of his life, the crucifixion and being made our sin. Here's another quote from R.A. Torrey that really helped me. As he, speaking of Jesus, drew nearer and nearer to the cross and realized that upon it was to come the great final test of his life. Jesus went out into the garden to pray. He came unto a place called Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane means the place of crushing. And said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. The victory at Calvary, Mr. Torrey says, was won that night in the garden of Gethsemane. The calm majesty of his being in meeting the onslaughts of Pilate's judgment hall and of Calvary were prayed out. Uh, was, was the outcome of the struggle and agony and victory of Gethsemane. While Jesus prayed and disciples slept, he stood fast while they fell ignominiously or shamefully. Many temptations, and he ends it by saying this, many temptations come upon us unawares and unannounced. And all that we can do is lift a cry to God for help uh, then and there. But many of the temptations of life we can see approaching from the distance. And in such cases, the victory should be won before the uh, temptation 
really reaches us. All of us have had things come up in life and before you can say scat, something's changed, something's happened in your, your head's where your feet were a few minutes before. Anybody ever had that happen to you? Well, those kinds of things are liable to happen in 2020, but we don't have to be ill-prepared. We can be ready when challenges come. I've been in ministry all since 1981, and, uh, you know, I've had some times where, where challenges came. I've talked to people one day, things are wonderful, but the very next day, the biggest challenge of their life arose. It could be a circumstantial thing. It could have been a financial thing. Uh, it runs the gamut. It could, have been, it could have been a relational thing. It could have been a physical thing. It could have been an impairment of some kind. And I've seen people who, when it came, they called me and said, Pastor, we got this. Just agree with us. I've had others who almost fell apart. What are we going to do? How am I going to handle this? What's going to happen? Friends, trouble is in our future. And if we don't get ready for it by developing a good, consistent prayer life, well, it'll be to our disadvantage. How many hear me? It's a real challenge for me as a pastor when I see somebody that is caught in the throes of a deep life challenge who is absolutely ill-prepared because they've not developed their fellowship with the Lord and they've not developed a place where they can go to his trusting presence and know that he will hear and know that he will answer. And what D.L. Moody said when he said it's more important for a person to learn to pray than to gain a college education, you know what he was really saying? He said he was saying the challenges of life come to every single person and there are things that are coming our way that we are not humanly able to deal with by ourselves. We don't have the answers. Nobody else has the answers everybody will have to shake their head and say I don't know what we're going to do but when you know God in those kinds of times you can and you will overcome Think about Jesus when he went to the cross. Think about him not going to Gethsemane thinking I'm the son of God I got this. He would not have had it. He had to seek God to the point that he sweat drops of blood as he prayed. And we arrogantly think we can go along in life knowing what we know, doing what we do. I got this. God, I got this. And we fail over and over again. And this year in 2020, God's saying, I want you to develop and hone your prayer life. I want you to get to know me. I want you to learn to pray about every single thing in life. That's what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying about what was coming so that he would be able to stand the test and overcome. And he got specific in his prayer life. Number five is when you get specific in prayer, worry fades away, confidence rises. I want to encourage you this year along with me. Take some extra time to pray about everything that concerns life. Marriage, children, relationships, job, finances, health, future, everything that affects your life. Question, do I pray about every area of life or do I live like most everybody else? Okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. You know, things are going to happen. I can't change. Well, you know what? You can make a tremendous change in how life is lived and what happens in life if we'll only learn to pray. How many hear what I'm saying? Philippians 6, listen to this. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I've got several translations here. The first one is Passion Translation again. It says this, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Did you hear what he just said? Be saturated in prayer 
throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Then he says this, tell him, God, every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Christ. Contemporary English version of those same verses says this, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thankful hearts. Open up your prayers and requests to God. Then because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way you think and feel. And for decades now, I found this verse, I think 1984, and I wrote it down in my personal notes, and I've never forgotten it. Philippians 4, 6, J.B. Phillips translated the New Testament in the year I was born, 1958. And it says this, don't worry over anything whatever. Now, that's a tall order. Don't worry over anything. Okay, what am I supposed to do? That's the first time I read it. Okay, great. I'm not supposed to worry. What am I going to do? Then he says, tell God every detail of your need in sincere and thankful prayer. What if we actually did that? What if we took the time that we call prayer and fellowship with the Father and poured our heart to him? And told him every detail of what we face in every area of life. With all of the challenges and the things that concern and bother us. What if we actually put that into practice? Friends, I can tell you from personal example, it makes a tremendous difference. I have learned over the years of time. and This started when I was a young man and it started by default. I did not know what I was doing. I've been to two Bible schools uh, here's a personal example. I, was, I had been to two Bible schools. It's 1984. I was a, uh, a janitor in a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Had about 5,000 members. We had a lot going on. It was a really busy place. We had just bought a new build, built a new building and moved in. And we had thousands of people coming and going on the weekends and throughout the week. Uh, we had a Bible school. We had a Christian school. It was just a busy, busy place. And and in the middle of all that, the pastor comes up and to make a long story short and says, I want, you to, I want you to take a ministry position. He knew I'd been to Bible school and all that. Uh, the associate pastor had just resigned. And he said, I want you to take his place and I want you to do the counseling that he did for me. I wanted to say, you got to be joking. Because I didn't feel like I was able to do it. I was just 25 years old. But he come and said, I believe you're the man. I said, uh, okay. And y'all, I mean, it scared the bejeebies out of me. I mean, it scared me silly. Every day I got up thinking, you know, I'm going to lose my job today. That's not a great way to think. But I said, Lord, this is so far beyond. Susan is pregnant with our first child. I said, God, what am I going to do? What, I mean, what am I going to do here? I don't even know how to do this job. I've got 120 people to train to do ministry. I've got all this stuff. I've got a council for the pastor. My schedule was filled every single day from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon. It was filled with all kinds of stuff. And I was overwhelmed and over my head. And y'all, I mean, I could have wore a hole right through my belly really quickly worrying. And I said, God, I got to do something. So by default, what I did do, what I did have on my side, the year prior to that, God said, Mitch, I want you to take your first part of your day and make it time with me. That saved my life. And when I got that job, that ministry position in that large church, I took that to task. I got up early in the morning before anybody else got up. I was at that new church building. They had put a big, they had put the uh, topsoil over in one location and uh, in the back of the property. So when I got there, I, I went to a, 
I went to actually the green room. I had no office or anything at the time, and, and I just I just got in that position. I just gotten into an office. Let me think. I just gotten into an office, and so I had my office. But prior to that, when I was a janitor, I would go to the church early. And so when I got this position, I went to the church early, and they had this place. I called it Prayer Mountain. All of the topsoil was all piled up in the back, and I went back there where nobody could hear me. There were cows back there on the other side of a fence, but there was no human. And I went, I walked back and forth, and I talked to God about every day. I talked to, to him about every appointment I had, everything I had to do with this new job. It was completely overwhelming to me, and I really felt like I was going to lose my job every day. But you know what? God's grace came on me. And I saw that the power of God came through prayer. And I saw little bit by little bit that God answered every single day. I'd go back there every day that I worked, say, God, you got to help me today. I got this going on, got this going on, got to talk to this person. I got this happening, got this happening. Then I'd pray about Susan having our first baby. I don't know how to be a daddy. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, I, I talked to him about my finances. Talked to him about Susan having a baby. We've never had babies before. What's it going to be like for my wife to have a baby? Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do. I prayed about everything, y'all, and God came through time after time after time. And now all these decades have passed. You know what I've learned to do? Every single thing that is coming up in your life, if you'll learn to make it a matter of prayer and ask God specifically to work and solve the problem to help you through whatever you're dealing with, he will come through for you. How many hear me? I've spent, and I never meant to do this when I came here in 1994. I never envisioned traveling like I have in missions, activities, different countries of the world. I've, you know, I've flown hundreds of thousands of miles all over the world, long flights, short flights, good flights, awful flights. And I was scared to fly to start with. I never told anybody because I'd set my jaw and I like everything's wonderful. And I had the heebie-jeebies on the inside. Like, oh, good. But you know what I learned to do? I learned to pray about everything. I would pray about the pilots. I'd pray about the attendants. I would pray about the, I'd pray about the takeoff, the cruise, the landing. I would pray about making connections in various parts of the world because all those things bothered my, my, uh, my mind. It bothered me because I'm such a specific, you know, got to have it done just right person. And I learned to pray through all of that. And you know what I found out? When you pray in detail about everything, worry takes a hike. How many hear me? Then I came to pastor here in 1994. I didn't know what I was doing. And some of us say, that's right. Well, I mean, you know, rest is history. But you know what I found out? Everything that bothers you, make it a matter of prayer. And ask the Father. Tell him you don't know what to do. Ask him to help you. And you'll be amazed at how he comes through. My last point, and I stop with this, number six. The word builds a basis for expecting God to answer prayer. Before you pray, find scripture that promise answers because they'll build your faith. Prayer's never based on feeling. How many hear me? Prayer must be based on faith in what God has said in his word. Back in 1970, I think it was 1977, 1978, uh, 1978, I, I just I wasn't quite 20. I turned 20 that year. I wasn't quite 20, but I bought a, and got through the mail from Kenneth Hagin, a, a big thing of cassette tapes on prayer. It's the best thing I ever bought in my whole life. First time I ever bought a whole series of tapes at the time we had cassette tapes from anybody. I got those things. I unpacked those things. Y'all, I wore those things out. And the whole thing was about prayer. And I, I'll never forget something that uh, Kenneth Hagin said. He said, don't base your prayer life on feelings. Base your prayer life on what God has said 
in his word. Now, that was a big deal to me. If you're like me, my past life was I was raised in church. I was raised in a denominational church. My parents taught, brought me to church three times a week. I heard people pray all kinds of prayers all my life. All of the deacons in our church prayed. We had set times of prayer in the services in the bulletin. So, so and so is going to pray. And every Sunday as a little boy, when they would go to pray, I would know exactly what they're going to say because they said the same thing every single week. And then when I was a little boy, I mean, my parents taught me to pray some of these primers that are really old. You know, when I was young, they were still popular. So I prayed when I went to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I don't know why I prayed something like that, but I did. I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then I pray for my food. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Anybody ever heard that? Those come out of English primers, school primers years ago. And then I get to church and they'd pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody's just in rote saying the same thing over and over again. And here's what I'm thinking. If God's, if God's intelligent and God is an all-wise being and I'm supposed to have some smarts, then why can't I talk to him? And why are people saying the same thing over and over and over and over? And here's what I found out. And, and then they would tell me in church, I would hear things like, well, when you pray, you know, you never know what God's going to do. Sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says nothing. So you know what I thought about prayer? Why pray? God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why should I pray? There's no promise that there are answers. I had no faith that God would answer prayer. When I came to Jesus just before my 18th birthday, uh, after just being away from God for a few years and drugs and all that, when I came back to Jesus, I saw I'd gotten to develop my prayer life. I had no faith in prayer. And I got a hold of those tapes. And I got in the word again about prayer. And you know what I found out? God answers prayer. So I found these scriptures I'm about to share. They're in the notes. My notes are on version. They'll be on our website this week. I found these scriptures, and you know what I've been doing all these years? No kidding. For over 43 or 42 years now, every morning when I pray, I fellowship. I sang to the Lord this morning. I worshiped him a little bit, you know, and just talked to him about me. And, and then I just talked and fellowship for a while and sang some more and then sang a little more. And then I got right down to it and said, Lord, I've got to talk to you about some things, but can I remind you of something that I need to know? And I, I mentioned these scriptures to it every day of my life. These scriptures are a part of my heart because they develop a faith and confidence in God. If you go to pray and you have no scripture in your thoughts that promise you that God will answer, you won't have faith in God to answer your prayer. How many hear me? So real quickly here, Matthew 21, 22, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you receive. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, whatever you desire when you pray, Jesus said, believe you receive them, you'll have them. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask any, for anything you want and it will be granted to you. Then Jesus said to the disciples before he went to the cross, speaking of the time we're living in today, that now he's in heaven praying for us. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he will give you. That's positive, isn't it? Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When, when I read that, you know what it's like? It, it, I see a check. 
I see a check and it's blank. And, and, on the, and on the line where the person signs it is Jesus Christ. He's given me a signed check out of his heavenly account. And he's saying, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for what you want and I'll do it for you. Oh, that makes life different. So if I'm fellowshipping with him, listening to him, obeying him, he said, you can ask for whatever you want and I'll do it for you. I've already signed the check. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. Then 1 John 3, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things pleasing in his sight. Lastly, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in him. You ever had anybody that you're around that exudes confidence? You ever hit a, a, a hard place in life? It's like, man, I just need somebody to talk to me. Have you ever had somebody, when you get around them, it's like, you just, they just have this air about them, you know, everything's going to be okay. When I was a little boy, my daddy was that way. My daddy was the jack of all trades, a master of everything he ever did in my mind. He was Superman. And when I'd come around my daddy, I'd have a problem. And my daddy, when I was a little boy, it was like, daddy just said, Mitch, it's going to be okay. And I knew, you know, it'll be all right. Because daddy always solved every problem. That's the way God should be. When you have challenges, when you have problems, this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. That's awesome, y'all. Do you have that in your life? Got three questions as you go. Do you live out of your prayer life? Question. Do you live out of your prayer life? Or do you wait until a crisis to pray? If we wait until crisis time, we're always at a disadvantage. Uh, secondly, get specific in prayer. Pray out the details. My encouragement say, well, I don't know what to pray about. Well, what kind of stuff you got coming up in life? What's going on with your life, your marriage, your children, your relationships, your job, your finances, the things that you're involved in this week, next week, next month, the trips you're taking, the things you're doing, the plans you have. Pray about everything. You say, well, I ain't got nothing to pray. Well, then you ain't doing nothing then. Right? Get involved and make God a part of everything you do. And sometimes plans will change. Sometimes he'll say, don't do that, do this. Sometimes he'll say, don't go to lunch there, do this. Sometimes he'll say, do this instead of that. Sometimes he'll say, don't enter that contract. Sometimes he'll say, wait. And if we learn to obey, how many know we'll be blessed? I'll end with this, or a Tory quote. Our whole life should be a life of prayer. We should learn to walk in constant communion with God. There should be a constant upward looking of the soul to God. We should learn, uh, we should walk so habitually in His presence that even when we're awake in the night, it would be but the most natural thing in the world for us to speak to Him in thanksgiving or petition. God wants that for every life. You say, well, I don't pray much. You know, I started praying two minutes, three minutes. I thought I hung the moon in the sky. I couldn't pray long when I first started out, but you know, if you just start where you are, God will give you grace, and you can develop a fellowship and relationship with Him until it can consume your whole life. And then you can get to the point that regardless of the challenge, nothing moves you. And y'all, we need that in 2020.